0: Book Three: The Pathfinders of Africa, Chapter Twenty of the Book of Missionary Heroes. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivoxorg Recording by Adel Pin. The Book of Missionary Heroes by Basil Matthews, Chapter Twenty: Fighting the Slave Trade. Alexander Mackay Date. 1878. In the court of King Matesa, Mackay always saw many boys who used to drive away the flies from the king's face with fans, carry stools for the chiefs and visitors to squat upon, run messages, and make themselves generally useful. Most of these boys were the sons of chiefs. When they were not occupied with some errand, they would lounge about playing games with one another in the open space just by the king's hut. Often, when Mackay came to speak with the king, he had to wait in this place before he could have audience of Matesa. He would bring with him large sheets of paper, on which he had printed in his workshop the alphabet and some sentences. The printing was actually done with the little hand-press that Mackay had used in his attic when he was a boy in his old home in Rhine. He had taken it with him all the way to Uganda, and now was setting up letters and sentences in a language which had never been printed before. The Baganda boys who had gathered round the white man of work with wondering eyes, as he with his magic printed the sheets of paper, now crowded about him as he unrolled one of those white sheets with the curious black smudges on them. Mackay made the noise that we call A, and then B, and pointed to these curious shaped objects which we call the letters of the alphabet. Then he got them to make the noise and point to the letter that represented that sound. At last the keenest of the boys really could repeat the alphabet right through and began to read whole words from another sheet, beganda words, so that at length they could read whole sentences. Two of these pioneer boys became very good scholars. One named Mukasa became a Christian and was baptized with the name Samueli, Samuel. Another called Kakumba was baptized Yusufu, Joseph. A third boy had been captured from a tribe in the north and his skin was of a much lighter brown than that of the Baganda boys. This light-skinned captured slave was named Lugalama. Each of these boys felt it, it was a proud day, when at last he could actually read a whole sheet of printing from beginning to end in his own language, from Our Father down to The Kingdom, The Power, and The Glory. Amen. One morning these paid boys leapt to their feet as they heard the familiar rattle of the drums that heralded the coming of King Matesa. They bowed as he entered the hall and sat heavily on his stool, while his chiefs ranged themselves about him. On a stool near the king sat Mackay, the white man of work. His bronzed face was set in grim determination, for he knew that on that morning he had a difficult battle to fight. Another loud battering of drumheads filled the air. The entrance to the hut was darkened by a tall, swarthy Arab in long, flowing robes, followed by Negro-bearers, who cast on the ground bales of cloth and guns. The Arab wore on his head a red fez, round which a colored turban scarf was wound. He was a slave-trader from the coast, who had come from the east to Matesa in Uganda to buy men and women and children to carry them away into slavery. King Matesa was himself not only a slave trader, but also a slave raider. He sent his fierce gangs of warriors out to raid a tribe away in the hills to the north. They would dash into a village, slay the men, and drag the boys and girls and women back to Matesa as slaves. The bronze-skinned boy, Luulema was a young slave who had been captured on one of these bloodthirsty raids. And Matesa, who often sent out his executioners to slay his own people by the hundred to please the dreaded and horrible god of smallpox, would also sell his people by the hundreds to get guns for his soldiers. The Arab slave trader bowed to the earth before King Matesa, who signaled him to speak. "'I have come,' said the Arab, pointing to the guns on the floor, "'to bring you these things in exchange for some men and women and children. See, I offer you guns and percussion caps and cloth.' And he spread out lengths of the red cloth, and held out one of the guns with its gleaming barrel. King Matesa's eyes lighted up with desire as he saw the muskets and the ammunition. These, he thought, are the things that will make me powerful against my enemies. I will give you, the Arab slave trader went on, one of these lengths of red cloth in exchange for one man to be sold to me as a slave, one of these guns for two men, and one hundred of these percussion caps for a woman as a slave. Mackay looked into the cruel face of Matesa, and he could see how the ambitious king longed for the guns. Should he risk the favor of the king by fighting the battle of a few slaves? Yet Mackay remembered, as he sat there, how Livingstone's great fight against the slave traders had made him, as a student, vow that he too would go out and fight slavery in Africa. The memory nerved him for the fight he was now to make. Mackay turned to Matesa and said words like these, O king Matesa, you are set as father over all your multitude of people. They are your children. It is they who make you a great king. Remember, O king, that the sultan of Zanzibar himself has signed a decree that no slave shall be taken in all these lands and sold to other lands down beyond the coast, whither this Arab would lead your children. Therefore, if you sell slaves, you break his law. Will you, then, sell your own people that they may be taken out of their homeland into a strange country, they will be chained to one another, beaten with whips, scourged and kicked, and many will be left at the wayside to die, till the peoples of the coast shall laugh at Uganda and say, That is how King matasa lets strangers cheat his children. We can imagine how the Arab turned and scowled fiercely at Mackay; His heart raged, and he would have given anything to plunge the dagger hidden in his robe into Mackay's heart. Who was this white man who dared to try to stop his trade? But Mackay went on see he said pointing to the boys and the chiefs your children are wonderfully made their bones which are linked together are clothed with flesh and from the heart in their breast the blood that gives men life flows to and fro in their body while the breath goes in and out of their lungs and makes them live god the father and maker of all men alone can create such wonders no men who ever lived could if they worked all through their lives make one thing so marvellous as any one of these boys Will you then sell one of these miracles, one of your children, for a bit of red rag which any man can make in a day? All eyes turned to King Matesa to learn what he would say. The king, with a wave of his hand, dismissed the scowling Arab, while he took counsel with his chiefs and came to this decision. My people shall no more be made slaves. A decree was written out, and King Matesa put his hand to it. The crestfallen Arab and his men gathered up their guns and cloths, marched down the hill to buy ivory instead of slaves for their bales of red cloth, and went out of the dominions of King Matesa, across the Great Lake homeward. Mackay had won the first battle against slavery. His heart was very glad. Yet he knew that, although he had scored a triumph in this fight with the slave-dealer, he had not won in his great campaign. The king was generally kind to Mackay for he was proud to have so clever a white man in his country. But he could not make up his mind to become a Christian. Matesa's heart had not really changed. His slave raiding of the other tribes might still go on. The horrible butcherings of his people to turn away from the dreaded anger of the gods would continue. Mackay felt he must press on with his work. He was slowly opening a road through the jungle of cruelty and the marshes of dread of the gods that made the life of the Baganda people dark and dreadful. All Uganda waited breathless one day as though the end of the world had come King Matesa is dead a cry went out through all the land the people waited in dread and on tiptoe of eagerness till so the new king was selected by the chiefs from the sons of the dead ruler at last a great cheer went up from the palace Mwanga has eaten Uganda they shouted by this the people meant that Mwanga a young son of Matesa only 18 years old had been made king he was, however, a boy with no power, the mere feeble tool of the Katikuro, the Prime Minister, and of Mujasi, the captain of the king's own bardigodder soldiers. Both of these great men of the kingdom fiercely hated Mackay, for they were jealous of his power over the old king. So they whispered into the young Mwanga's ears stories like this, You know that men say that Uganda will be eaten up by an enemy from the lands of the rising sun. Make and the other white men are making ready to bring thousands of white soldiers into your land to eat it up and to kill you. So Mwanga began to refuse to speak to Make. Then, because the thing was afraid to attack him, he began to lay plots against the boys. One morning Make started out from his house with five or six boys and the crew of his boat to march down to the lake. Among the boys were young Lugalama, the fair-haired slave boy, now a freed slave and a servant to mackay and kakumba who had you remember been baptized joseph the king and the katakiro had given mackay permission to go down to the lake and sail across it to take letters to a place called mislala from which the carriers would bear them down to the coast down the hill the party walked the crew carrying the baggage and the oars on their heads mackay and his colleague ash who had come up from england to work with him walked behind to their surprise, there came running down from the path behind them and past them a company of soldiers. Where are you going? asked Mackay of one of the soldiers. Mujasi, the captain of the bodyguard, he replied, has sent us to capture some of the king's wives who have run away. Another and yet another body of soldiers rushed past them. Mackay became more and more suspicious that some foul plot was being brewed. He and his company had walked ten miles, and the lake was but two miles away, divided from them by a wood. Suddenly there leapt out from behind the tree hundreds of men headed by Mujasi himself. They leveled their guns and spears at Mackay and his friends, and yelled, Go back! Go back! We are the king's friends, replied Mackay, and we have his leave to travel. How dare you insult us! And they pushed forward, but the soldiers rushed at them, snatched their walking-sticks from them, and began to jostle them. Mackay and Ash sat by the side of the path. Mujasi came up to them. "'Where are you walking?' he asked. "'We are traveling to the port with the permission of King Mwanga and the Katakiru.' "'You are a liar,' replied Mujasi. Mujasi stood back, and the soldiers rushed at the missionaries, dragged them to their feet, and held the muzzles of their guns within a few inches of their chests. Mackay turned with his boys and marched back to the capital he and ash were allowed to go back to their own home on the side of the hill but the five boys were marched to the king's headquarters and imprisoned the katakiro when mackay went to him refused to listen at first then he declared that mackay was always taking boys out of the country and returning with armies of white men and hiding them with the intention of conquering uganda the katakiro waved them aside and the angry mot waiting rushed on the missionaries yelling mine shall be his coat mine his treasures no mine as the men scoffled with one another mackay and ash at last got back to their home and knelt in prayer later on the same evening they decided to attempt to win back the king and the prime minister and mujasi by gifts so that their imprisoned boys would be freed from danger mackay spoke to his other boys telling them to go and fly for their lives or they would be killed in the morning, Mackay heard that three of the boys who had been captured on the previous day were not only bound as prisoners, but that Mujasi was threatening to burn them to death. The boys were named Siruwanga, Kakumba, and Lugalema. The eldest was fifteen, the youngest twelve. The boys were led out with a mob of howling men and boys around them. Mujasi shouted to them, Oh, you know Isamastia, Jesus Christ, you believe you will rise from the dead. I shall burn you and you will see if this is so a hideous roar of laughter rose from the mob the boys were led down the hill towards the edge of a marsh behind them was a plantation of banana trees some men who had carried bundles of firewood on their heads threw the wood into a heap others laid hold of each of the boys and cut off their arms with hideous curved knives so that they should not struggle in the fire Suriwanga, the bravest, refused to utter a cry as he was cut to pieces, but Kakumba shouted to Mujasi, who was a Mohammedan, You believe in Allah the Merciful, be merciful! But Mujasi had no mercy. We are told that the men who were watching held their breath with awed amazement as they heard a voice, voice out of the flame and smoke singing. Daily, daily sing to Jesus, sing, my soul, his praises due." As the executioners came towards the youngest and feeblest Ugalama, he cried, "Oh, do not cut off my arms! I will not struggle! I will not fight, only throw me into the fire!" But they did their ghastly work and threw the mutilated boy on a wooden framework above the slow fire where his cries went up till at last there was silence. One other Christian stood by named mulassi Mujasi, with eyes bloodshot and inflamed with cruelty, came forward towards him, and cried, Ah, you are here. I will burn you too and your household. You are a follower of Isa, Jesus. Yes, I am, replied Musali, and I am not ashamed of it. It was a marvel of courage to say in the face of the executioner's fire and knife what Peter dared not say when the servant made in Jerusalem laughed at him. Perhaps the heroism of Musali awed even the cruel-hearted Mujasi. In any case, he left Musali alone. For a little time Mwanga ceased to persecute the Christians but the wily Arabs whispered in his ear that the white men were still trying to eat up his country. Mwanga was filled with mingled anger and fear. Then his fury burst all bounds when Mujasi said to them, There is a great white man coming from the rising sun. Behind him will come thousands of white soldiers. Send at once and kill him, cried the demented Mwanga. A boy named Balakudembe a christian heard the order and he could not contain himself but broke out oh king mwanga why are you going to kill a white man your father did not do so but the soldiers went out traveled east along the paths till they met the great bishop hannington being carried in a litter stricken with fever they took him prisoner and after some days slew him as he stood defenseless before them hannington had been sent out to help mackay and his fellow christian then the king fell ill. He believed that the boy Balakudembe, who had warned him not to kill the bishop, had bewitched him. So Mwanga's soldiers went and caught the lad and led him down to a place where they lit a fire, and placing the boy over it burned him slowly to death. All through this time, Make alone had not been really seriously threatened, for his work and what he was made the king and the Ketakiru and even Mujasi afraid to do him death. Then there came a tremendous thunderstorm. A flash of lightning smote the king's house, and it flamed up and burned to ashes. Then King Mwanga seemed to go mad. He threatened to slay Maka himself. Take! Seize! Burn the Christians! he cried. And his executioners and their minions rushed out, captured forty-six men and boys, slashed their arms from their bodies with their cruel curved knives so that they could not struggle, and then placed them over the ghastly flames which slowly wrung the lives from their tortured bodies. Yet the numbers of the Christians seemed to grow with persecution. The king himself beat one boy, Apollo Kagwa, with a stick and smote him on the head, then knocked him down, kicked and stamped upon him. Then the king burned all his books, crying, Never read again. The other men and boys who had become Christians were now scattered over in the land in fear of their lives. Mackay, however, come what may, determined to hold on. He set his little printing press to work, and printed off a letter which he sent to the scattered Christians. In Mackey's letter was written these words, In days of old Christians were hated, were hunted, were driven out, and were persecuted for Jesus' sake, and thus it is today. Our beloved brothers do not deny our Lord Jesus. At last Mwanga's mad cruelties grew so frightful that all his people rose in rebellion and drove him from the throne, so that he had to wander an outcast by the lakeside mackay at that time was working by the lake and he offered to shelter the deposed king who had only a short time before threatened his life two years passed and mackay on the lakeside was building a new boat in which he hoped to sail to other villages to teach the people then a fever struck him he lay lingering for some days then he died aged only forty-one if mackay instead of becoming a missionary had entered the engineering profession he might have become a great engineer. When he was a missionary in Africa, the British East Africa Company offered him a good position. He refused it. General Gordon offered him a high position in his army in Egypt. He refused it. He held on when his friends and the Church Missionary Society called him home. This is what he said to them. What is this you write? Come home? Surely now, in our terrible dearth of workers, it is not the time for anyone to desert his post. Send us only our first twenty men, and I may be tempted to come help you find us the second twenty. He died when quite young, homeless, after a life in constant danger from fever, and from a half-mad tyrant king, his Christian disciples having been burned. Was it worthwhile? Today the Prime Minister of Uganda is Apollo Kagwa who as a boy was kicked and beaten and stamped upon by King Mwanga for being a Christian. And the king of Uganda, Dadi Mwanga's son, is a Christian. At the capital there stands a fine cathedral in which brown Baganda clergy lead the prayers of the Christian people. On the place where the boys were burned to death there stands a cross, put there by 70,000 Baganda Christians in memory of the young martyrs. Was their martyrdom worth while? Today all the slave raiding has ceased forever. Innocent people are not slaughtered to a peace of God's. The burning of boys alive has ceased. Mackay began the work. He made the first rough road, and as he made it he wrote, This will certainly yet be a highway for the king himself, and all that pass this way will come to know his name. And a highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be a way of holiness. But the way is not finished, and the last words that Mackay wrote were, here is a sphere for your energies. Bring with you your highest education and your greatest talents, and you will find a scope for the exercise of them all. End of Chapter twenty Recording by Adel de Pinoli.